Chapter 2. There is another. In the basement levels, it is difficult to tell whether it is day or night. Candles and low wattage lights are always on and nothing more. In this large room, a dozen hooded cloaked men stand in a half circle. Raven and Kane, two top operatives, stand at attention in its center. Herrick paces for what seems like an eternity, then speaks. Raven, how could you let them get away? Did I not give you everything you asked to guarantee his death or capture? Just give me another chance. I- Silence! You couldn't even bring back the girl. I had given you access to our operatives, automatic weapons, explosives, and the whereabouts of this reason and the girl, and you still have nothing to show for it. He doesn't even know who he is, but now he knows that we exist. What do you propose I do with you, Raven? Herrick, please give me another chance. I will see to it personally that he is brought before you. You know my loyalty. I have never failed you before now. Yes, you have served the Dominion well. That is why I won't kill you. But your failure is a sign of weakness. I will not tolerate failure of this magnitude. I will let you determine your own fate. Herrick turns his pale gray face toward the dozen hooded men. Take him to the pit. Herrick, no! If you survive the beast, you'll be assigned to the southern sector. If not... Two of the large hooded men roughly take hold of Raven and begin to escort him out of the room. The others reveal small caliber weapons that are aimed at Raven. No! You will find no one more loyal than I. Don't do this. Kane, I have heard much of your work in the southern sector. The string of church burnings were quite impressive. My warlocks speak highly of you. We have tracked your progress ever since you've been promoted to sector general. Thank you, Your Excellency. I have a problem. Tell me, are you the person to fix it? Your wish is my will, Excellency. If you are successful, I will declare you as my new first. How much do you know of the current situation with the opposition? Just what I've been told, that the time is approaching for the unleashing, where the Master will take his seat on the throne of this earth, that there are several who would oppose this. The divining spirits have revealed that there is a small force of opposition that would prove to be the only resistance to the success of the unleashing. The only problem is that we don't know who or where this group is. Good, but you are mistaken in one thing. We do know where they are, and we know that Reason is one of them. Now that he is aware of our presence, we must deal with him quickly and decisively. The spirits have told us we can use him to find the others, so we must have him alive. There is someone I have called to help you in your mission. Meet our champion, Agravane. A seven-foot-tall, 300-pound mammoth of a man walks into the room. It is the man who lay on the metal slab just one day earlier. Now, possessed with several demons and physically enhanced, he is just a shadow of his previous self. A true force to be reckoned with. Susan strains, her head moving back and forth, locked in a dream in which she cannot awake. Deep in her mind, the Holy Spirit uses this unconscious state to speak to her. You are safe now, but there is much danger and turmoil ahead. It is too much for reason to handle alone. 
That is why you must help him. But I don't know what I can do. I have no skills. I have nothing that can help. Ah, but you do. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. I will. I will trust in the Lord. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Reason's mission is now your mission. You are to be his His helper. Susan's eyes snap open. She lay motionless in the darkened hotel room, contemplating the words of her dream. She sits up in the bed. Her movement wakes Reason, who is sitting in a recliner with Gavagai extended. Susan, are you okay? Yes, I think so. Bad dream? Don't worry, we're safe for now. No, it's not that. In my dream, it was like someone was talking to me. Almost as if it were the Spirit of God telling me my purpose. I truly believe that whatever God is telling you to do, that I'm supposed to help you. Really? I don't know how you can help me. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. But whatever God has planned for me, us, I'm ready to follow. I guess until we figure it out, we just wait. I have no job to go to today anyway. (laughs) Neither do I. Reason? Yeah? This is kind of exciting, don't you think? Well, being chased by a bunch of unknown assassins and having your life turned upside down, I guess that can have that effect on people. No, I mean, it's like a new beginning. It's like we're entering a new part of our lives. Maybe we should find a priest, a preacher, or someone who can tell us more about it. You know, that's not a bad idea. Know any? No. Maybe we should pray that God send one our way. Reason walks over to the bed next to Susan. He takes her by the hand. God, thank you for giving me a helper. We don't know what we're supposed to do, but whatever it is, we're ready to do it. Please teach us what to do. Help us to learn more about your Bible. Both of us are so new at this, and we don't want to do anything wrong. Please bring the right people in our lives to show us the way. And Lord, help us know what to do right now. And God, please protect us. Amen. The sun rises, shining golden rays through the window of Reason's hotel room. Reason and Susan have been talking since they woke up early in the night. You know, if our lives are in danger, then it stands to reason that our family's lives are too. Do you have any family members that you'd like to call? Susan slowly shakes her head. I better call my mother and make sure that she's okay. Maybe I can convince her to go on vacation for a while. She's always wanted to see England. Susan watches Reason on the phone. A sudden sadness overtakes her as she realizes that even at a time like this, there is no one she can call. The more she thinks about it, the louder the ringing phone sounds to her. She's not answering the phone. I haven't talked to her in almost two years. We kind of had a falling out. I hope she's okay. Maybe my uncle knows where she is. He's the only person I can trust. But I wonder if it is a good idea to call anyone right now. Dr. Robeck, how may I help you? Uh, Uncle Jared, it's Reason. Ah, Reason. Would you like to schedule another appointment? No, no, listen. Uncle Jared, have you seen or have you heard from my mom? No, can't say that I have. Is everything okay, son? Yeah, well, no. I have reason to believe that she might be in danger. Danger? 
Listen, Uncle Jared, I can't talk about it right now. Just do me a favor. If you hear from her, tell her to get a hold of me. She'll know how. Jared sits at the desk in his small office. He pulls a sheet of paper from his desk drawer and begins to write. If you're in any sort of trouble, I want to help. You know that, right? Well, at least tell me where I can get a hold of you. Uh-huh. Well, just stay there for now. I'll tell you what. I know a safe place where we can meet. Can you meet me in three hours at the little deli on Lincoln Street? We can iron all of this out there. And don't worry, whatever the problem is, we can work it out together. Now be reasonable. Do you have to talk to someone if it's as serious as it sounds? Okay, but if you need anything, promise that you'll call me. Don't worry, I won't talk to anyone. You know you can trust me. Take care. As Jared hangs up the phone, he looks up at a man dressed in a black suit and tie hovering over his desk. The man dials his cell phone. We've got him. Deep in the testing labs of the Dominion Empire, three science operatives attach electrobe suction to the bare chest and head of Agravain as one operative reviews data on the computer screen. Agravain steps off the scale. The tests are finished for the day. Herrick looks Agravain up and down, marveling at his new champion. Agravain, it is time. Look at you. You've been fashioned by the minions of darkness, infused with a legion of demons that are totally loyal to the master. Your fist can smash through six inches of solid stone and you wouldn't feel a thing. You are perfect. The master has given me command over the legion of demons inside of you. Therefore, I have command over you. So as you can see, I can trust you more deeply than even my first. Are you ready? I am ready, Lord Harrick. Good. Now you must follow my instructions to the letter. Do whatever you want with reason, just don't kill him. Through him, we will destroy any and all of the opposition. But we must have him alive. Do you understand? Yes, Lord Harrick. Good. Then you will need this. Herrick snaps his fingers. A young girl walks toward the two. She is carrying a velvet pillow with a large sword resting on top. Agravain grabs the sword and lifts it to his face. After examining it closely, he sheathes it. There are only seven in existence. It is the singing sword of Hamera. There have been maybe ten or fifteen people in human history who may have been capable of wielding it. Now it is yours. Do what you have to do, but do it quickly. Inside the brightly lit hotel room, Susan and Reason sit on the bed reading a portion of the Bible. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow, there you have it. I think we just read about the first martyr for Christ. There's a wealth of knowledge in here. I just want to soak it up like a sponge. Yeah, I know what you mean. Reason, I've been thinking. Who do you think those people were who tried to kill us the other day? I honestly don't know. I don't have any enemies that I can think of. I pretty much keep to myself. I have no clue who they could be. But hey, don't worry about them. We're still alive, aren't we? Yeah, but for how long? Susan slides the locket resting around her neck in and out of her fingers. It is a nervous habit she has developed over the years. After an awkward twist, the locket falls off into her hand. Hey, what is it that you have there? 
Oh, it's a locket that my mom gave me when I was three. Keeps falling off, though. I know. I have to get it fixed. So have you spoken to your mother since you've run away? No. I don't know what I'd say to her. I haven't seen her in almost 15 years. The better part of my life. I don't know if she ever really cared about me, though. I've only had one good friend of my life, and she is a working girl like me. Gina was the only one I could trust. I wonder how she's doing now. I'm going to go crazy if we have to stay in this room much longer. Let's get something to eat. I'm starved. Without warning, Reason feels a sharp pain in his left arm as if he has been shot. He begins to stand but falls hard on the floor, reeling in pain. Reason, what's wrong? Reason's vision blurs, then refocuses. But he is no longer with Susan in the hotel room. As he looks around, he thinks he is in some downtown business district, but the billboards aren't in English. He watches in disbelief as a man in his late 30s holds his left arm and is running from a large man wielding a bloodstained sword. The victim swings the crossbow around and fires a metal-tipped bolt. The large man dodges the shot, but it finds its mark striking a building only a few yards away from the stalker. The tip was armed with an explosive bomb and discharges, tossing the large man across a two-lane street like a ragdoll. Stone fragments and glass from the building litter the street and fall heavy on the big man. Cars swerve to miss the large body laying in the street. The man with a crossbow momentarily stops fleeing to see the carnage. He looks on in disbelief as a large assassin rises from the rubble. He brushes brick and glass off of his chest, not appearing to be injured much from the damage. Reason's vision flickers between the scene and the hotel room. What's going on? Why am I feeling this pain? Reason, what's wrong? I don't know, but I think we better get on our knees and pray right now. Someone is in trouble. Whoever he is, we need to pray for him. Reason lays exhausted on the bed in the hotel room. Susan hovers over him, visibly shaken. Worried and confused, she places a cold, damp washcloth on his head. Reason is feverish and breathing shallowly. Reason, are you okay? Yeah, I think so. You really scared me. I thought I was going to lose you. I didn't know if I should call the doctor or what. What happened? I don't know exactly. I just know that I saw a man fighting another man. I know that they weren't from the United States. One of the men was injured in the arm. The same arm that I'm feeling pain from. I've never seen the man before in my life, but somehow I feel like I knew him. I don't know much about what happened, but I believe that it happened far away from here. Somewhere in the east overseas. I have the strangest feeling that it happened in Paris. Paris, France. I don't understand any of this. Are you telling me you can feel the pain of someone in France? How is that possible? I don't know, Susan. I'm just telling you what I think happened. I'm wondering if he is like us. If he's being chased and not knowing why. Maybe we're linked in some way. I don't know. I just don't know how much more of this I can take. We have no money, no direction. And all of these things are happening and we don't know why. It's like we're flying blind. We don't even know where we're going. Not true. If this man is like us, if he's going through the same thing, then maybe we need to find him. Maybe that's what we should be doing. But how are we going to do that? You don't even know what his name is. And we don't have enough money to get... Ah! The sturdy door to the hotel room leading to the hallway bursts open with one forceful kick from Agravain. Two operatives dressed in black suits and carrying handguns stand monitoring the hallway as Agravain ducks to enter. With a look of pure hatred, he draws his sword. 
Even in his weakened state, Reason gets to his feet, grabs hold of Gavagaya and extends it. Pushing Susan behind him, he faces the cold-hearted beast. Red wisps of smoke swirl around him as Reason senses an immense amount of demonic activity within the man. Who are you? With one swift motion, Agarain lifts the end table, blocking his path, and flings it against the wall. He rushes Reason with his sword held high, bringing it down as Reason blocks two-handed with Gavagai. He collapses underneath the force, nearly falling to the floor. He has never felt this much power behind a swing. Almost out of reflex, Reason kicks the tender part of Agravain's leg. Agravain winces slightly, then backhands Reason, sending him tumbling across the room. Reason wipes the blood trickling from the corner of his mouth as Agravain slowly approaches. With a burst of adrenaline, Reason jumps to his feet and delivers a flurry of blows to Agravain. Blocking every blow with his sword, Agravain is pressed backward as Reason advances. A couple of kicks get through Agravain's defenses, but don't do any real damage. However, they are enough to set up a deft move as Reason swirls around, exposing his back only for a second, then swipes Gavagai around with torque momentum, trying to catch Agravain squarely on his temple. Agravain ducks quickly and brings his fist up, catching Reason full on the chin. The powerful blow sends him flying back as he loses his grip on Gavagai and lands hard against the end table and the wall. Reason lies motionless on the floor as Agravain approaches, looking like he might finish him off. Susan rushes him. He backhands her before she can even reach him. Her body is lifted in the air and she lands on the bed, smacking her shoulder on the headboard. One of the operatives raises his gun and fires at her. He hits his mark as the force of the bullet rolls her off the bed. She lands in a heap next to Reason's body. She isn't dead. Not yet, at least. She is still conscious enough to grasp Reason's retracted titanium weapon and slide it under her body before everything goes dark. Herrick watches as two robed operatives finish chaining a woman to the wall of the torture chamber. She is a fit woman in her early 60s. As the neck brace is fastened around her, she spits in the operative's face. He pauses, looks at Herrick, then walks away. Your son Reason is a feisty one, just like his mother. You know he doesn't have to be that difficult. All we want from him is a little cooperation. If he gives us what we want, we'll let both of you go. What are you going to do with me? Oh, you're just a little insurance. There's a small chance that Reason will decide not to tell me what I want to know. But he will, once he sees what will happen to you if he doesn't. I'll die before I let you lay a hand on my son. He won't cooperate with someone like you. You're a twisted, egotistical, deranged psycho. You're such a coward. And one of these days, you're going to get what you deserve. Herrick walks up to the woman and roughly grabs her by the chin. You have no idea who you're talking to. There's worse things than death, my dear. <laughs> Much worse. Kane walks into the room and stands at ease next to the doorway. We've captured him. Excellent. And what of the girl he was with? She's dead. Prepare him. Herrick releases Reason's mother and walks out of the room. Susan lie bleeding on the floor. The gunshot hit her in her upper chest, close to her shoulder, but it doesn't appear to have damaged any vital arteries or organs. Her eyes flutter open and she manages to sit up slightly, resting her back against the bed. On the verge of shock, her speech is shallow as well as her breathing. I've been shot. I've never been shot before. 
She pulls out her locket from beneath her dress neckline. It appears to have been broken off again. However, this time, it is dented. If it wasn't for my locket, I'd be dead. Deflected the bullet away from my heart. God, please help me. I'm losing a lot of blood. Oh God, please help. Down the hallway, an old lady is leading two police officers to Susan's room. It's right over here, officer. I don't know what happened. I just heard this commotion, like fighting. It was coming from this room. I was too afraid to see if anyone was hurt. I didn't know if the burglar was still inside. Just step aside, ma'am. Wait in the hallway. We'll take care of this. I've radioed dispatch. Ma'am, it would be a good idea if you just go back to your room now. We'll take care of it from here. The two police officers draw their guns and enter the room, checking corners and blind spots for danger. Police! Anyone here? One of the officers noticed Susan lying on the floor. He rushes to her aid while the second officer covers him. Where is he, ma'am? He's gone. We're going to need an ambulance in here. Twenty minutes later, two ambulance workers load Susan in the back of the vehicle. She is lying on a gurney with tubes and bandages attached to her body. One worker gets inside and closes the van door as the other rushes to the driver's seat. From a distance, there is someone watching. A young black female in her mid-twenties tightens her trench coat around her and watches the ambulance drive off. Herrick sits reading a large book in a darkened private chamber. Chanting under his breath, he breathes in smoke and burning incense. His eyes gloss over as if he is reaching some sort of trance-like state. Herrick raises his hands in the air. His eyes are wild as he looks in the darkened corner of his room. Red light begins to manifest, a gateway into the pit of hell. Ah, the time is near. The time is very near. Don't worry, my master, we will be ready. Kane appears in the doorway behind Herrick. With eyes closed and without turning around, Herrick senses his presence. Kane, what is it? He is ready. Herrick opens his eyes. They are blazing red as if on fire. Excellent. Reason hangs limp, bloody, and bruised. His tattered, blood-stained clothes are the only thing that keeps his body warm from the cold cinder block wall he is fastened to. There isn't enough give in the chains for Reason to move much, but even if there were, he is too exhausted to try. Agravain, along with two operatives, watch Reason fight back the pain as Kane enters the torture chamber, followed by Herrick, whose eyes have returned to normal. Reason, it is good to finally meet you. Do you know how much trouble you've caused us? We practically had to tear up the city to find you. Now our position is compromised, and even some of the authorities that are not under our control are beginning to suspect some of our operatives. Now for that, I should make you die a slow, painful death. But if you tell me what I want to know, I promise I'll make sure your death is quick. I understand that you've already had a taste of our torture techniques, a little time on the racks, and a taste of the heated irons. I certainly hope that you are ready to tell us what we want to hear. Dylan here is one of our best, and he can keep you alive screaming for weeks. His record is 25 days. Don't make him try to break it. We know that there are others like you. Now I'm going to ask you this once. Tell me where they are. 
I don't know what you're talking about. Dylan begins to walk toward Reason. Herrick raises his hand and Dylan stops his advance. There is a small possibility you don't, isn't there? And if you don't, then you likely don't even know why we've been looking for you. Interesting. At first we're going to kill you, but then I realize that you may know the location of the others. Just think back. Has there been a recent change in your life within the past, say, three weeks? I know that the answer is yes. You're not quite the same person that you used to be. Now you feel that you're on some crusade. Well, you may be interested to know that you're not alone. That's right, there are others like you. Six, to be exact, scattered all across the world. Now that I have you, there are only six more to find. You see, we've been planning something for a long, long time. Something very big. And I have reason to believe that you seven are trying to screw things up. Now, think real hard. Because you see, if you don't know where the other six are, you are of no use to us, and I can kill you right now. But I think you know where they are. For your sake, I hope you do. Now tell me, or I'm going to let Dylan here have his way with you. I tell you, I don't know anything. How many times do you want me to say it? We'll soon find out. Kane, bring him in. Kane opens the large double doors and two Dominion operatives drag Reason's uncle into the room. Reason looks at his uncle Jared in disbelief. He appears battered and bruised, unable to stand. Uncle Jared! Reason, tell them what they want to know, please. Now either you tell us what you know, or we kill your uncle while you watch. Please don't let them kill me. Reason, please. I already told you, I don't know! I don't know anything. I don't know about any others like me. I don't know about this mission you're on. I don't know anything. I don't even know why I'm here. Please, you've got to believe me. Please, just let my uncle go. He hasn't done anything. Herrick motions and they release Jared. To Reason's surprise, he straightens up, obviously uninjured, and walks up to Reason looking him in the face. He doesn't know anything. He would have told us by now. What? You're in on this? He's strong, but not that strong. He's clueless. He's no use to us. You presume too much. Shortly, we'll know for sure. Kane, bring out his mother. His mother? Jacqueline? Uh, you never said anything about bringing her into this. The sharp pain from the gunshot wound has numbed considerably due to the anesthetics and painkillers that Nurse Cromwell delivered intravenously to the now-conscious Susan. Light shades of red from the entry wound can be seen through the bandages and gauze fastened to her shoulder. The nurse adjusts the drip as Susan shifts in her bed. You're lucky to be alive, young lady. One more inch to the left and that bullet could have struck a vital artery. I guess someone is looking out for you. For sure. Get some rest now. Later this morning, you're going to have to give a statement to the police. They were here earlier, but I thought you needed a little more time to rest. Thanks. If you need anything, just push the red button. As the nurse leaves the room, Susan turns her face toward the ceiling. Tears well up in her eyes as her focus turns to reason. I wonder what they're doing to reason. Lord, please be with him. He's all I've got. From her peripheral vision, Susan notices someone standing in the doorway. She shifts to get a better look at the figure. It is the young black woman who watched from a distance when the ambulance hurried Susan's body into the hospital. She walks up to Susan's bedside. 
Who are you? Stay calm. I'm a friend. My name is Mariah. I'm looking for your husband. I want to help him. Husband? But I'm not married. What are you doing here? You're not married? Then who's the man you're staying with? Reason? Who are you and what do you want with him? I guess I'd better start from the beginning. About a week ago, my life changed. But let me tell you the whole story, or you may not believe what I'm about to tell you. I wasn't born with the luxuries that you and Reason may be accustomed to. When I was born, a homeless person found me in a dumpster, already addicted to crack cocaine. All my life I had it hard. I hated life. I hated everyone. I was adopted when I was four, but I was a handful. I think my foster father left because of that. But everything changed when my uncle moved in. He just came to help out, but we became close. He taught me about history and ancient weaponry like swords, morning stars, and all kinds of medieval weapons. I got really into it. So when I was in my 20s, he signed me up to train with Sao Chao, a Japanese weapons master. After two years of training, my uncle couldn't afford the payments, so I made them on my own. I got really good, extremely good. One day, under the painting of Jesus' crucifix in our living room, my uncle showed me an ancient sword of unknown origin. He gave it to me, but he never told me about its significance. It wasn't until later that I'd find out it was part of a bigger plan. On a Tuesday night after a day of training, I came home to find out that our house had been broken into. My uncle was killed, murdered. I vowed that I would find out who did it. I began teaching myself as much as I could about bounty hunting, the skills and tactics of the police and private investigating. With those skills, it wasn't long before I found my uncle's killer. I learned that the attack was racially motivated, but something stopped me from killing him. He's in prison now, but it felt like the sentence was for me. I realized I was alone again. Couldn't shake off the feeling of depression. Then one night when I was at home alone, I saw the painting of Jesus on the wall, and I remember my uncle giving me the sword. I never really understood the painting until that very moment. I realized that Jesus died for my sin. At that moment, I gave my life to him, and everything changed. I even named the sword Mercy Giver because of what Christ did for us on the cross. I carry it most everywhere I go, now a devout follower of Christ. Susan rests in her hospital bed, listening intently as Mariah continues her life story. What happened under that painting was nothing short of a miracle. Not only was I saved, but there was more, much more. I was addicted to crack cocaine ever since I was an infant, but at that very moment, it was like I was cured, just as if God delivered me from that addiction. I also had a deeper spiritual sensitivity. It's really difficult to explain. Wait, don't tell me. It sounds kind of like what happened to reason. You can sense spiritual things like when someone has evil or good intent. And you can sense when the presence of God is around or demonic forces. 
you can actually see wisps of red or blue. Red for evil and blue for good. Yeah, that's right. Now it's all beginning to make sense. Over the past week, I've been running from people that I'm sure are trying to kill me. And I don't even know why. There's one guy in particular that I think is after me. I thought I was just being paranoid, but when my apartment was broken into, I knew I had reason for concern. But I know how to defend myself, and I won't be found if I don't want to be. But last night, the strangest thing happened. I felt sharp pain, as if someone had broken my jaw. Then I began to have a vision of reason fighting with someone. You were in it too. I think I was feeling reason's pain. Somehow I knew the general area of where he was. I just felt the desperate need to help him. That's why I'm here. I tracked down the location of the hotel you were in. The vision was almost like a compass leading me to where Reason was attacked. These last few hours, I felt that he was in further pain. Somewhere in the east. But when I saw you being loaded into the ambulance, I remembered you from the vision. I had to meet you and find out if what I saw really happened. It happened all right. Do you know? Is he still alive? I'm sorry. I don't know, but I plan to find out. When you go, there is something in my coat pocket that I want you to give to Reason. It's a small metal rod. Mariah walks over to Susan's coat and rifles through the pockets. She lifts up the titanium rod about six inches long and looks at it strangely. It's his weapon. Do you have any idea where they may have taken him? No. (sighs) Maybe if I concentrate... I might be able to sense his injuries like I did before. Maybe then I can see where he is. Mariah closes her eyes and tightens her grip around Gavagai, Reason's weapon. Mariah's eyes snap open when her lungs feel like the air has been sucked out of the room as her vision refocuses. She's no longer in the hospital room. She looks around at what seems like a poorly lit dungeon. Hanging on the wall is Reason, bloody and bruised. Two burly men wearing black executioner hoods continue to flog Reason. Susan can hear Mariah's voice, even though her mind seems to be someplace else. He's underground. Looks looks like a dungeon or even a holding chamber. I think it's heavily fortified. One of the executioners raises his fist and brings it down heavy on Reason's head. Mariah feels like she was just struck ah! in the temple and breaks the link. I have it. I have to go. He's in danger. Mariah stumbles to her feet, holding her head as if she was sucker punched with brass knuckles. Shuffling toward the door, she pauses only long enough to hear Susan's voice. Mariah, I will be praying for you. Kane and two operatives stand guard in the torture chamber. Reason hangs limp, bound by chains to a stone wall as Agravain punches him in the gut, almost causing him to puke. Herrick watches in satisfaction. Reason's mother, Jacqueline, is chained as well. She tries to hold back tears as she watches Reason being beat to unconsciousness. His body is bruised and in some places fractured, but he barely feels anything as he begins to go into shock. Agravain raises his fist and brings it down on Reason's face. That's enough. 
Now I'll ask you one more time. Where are they? Where are the rest of the opposition? I was hoping it wouldn't come to this. Herrick gives Agravain a nod. Agravain turns his attention to Jacqueline. He approaches her with a crazed look in his eyes. No! No! Mother? Wait, Agravain. Now, Jacqueline, I know you don't want me to let him loose on you. Once he gets going, I don't think even I'd be able to stop him. He so much enjoys his work. Please, whoever you are, my son doesn't know anything. Don't you understand that? My goodness, just let him go. I'll tell you what. You know I can't let him walk out of here, don't you? But you, you on the other hand, I might. You see, I still have a problem. I know what he's been telling me, but I think he knows something. At any rate, I'm ready to call his bluff. I'll tell you what I will do if he's telling me the truth. And I have a way of knowing these things. I'll let you go. You have my word. Herrick looks over at Reason with no pity or mercy. Only disgust and hatred fill his eyes. You know, Reason, there are ways of knowing for sure whether you know anything or not. I'll have to consult the divining spirits, of course. And if you didn't know, they're really demanding. And I don't like to do it unless I absolutely have to. So before I go, is there anything you want to tell me? Keep in mind that if I find out you've been lying to me, you and your mother will have a very slow and painful death. Drop dead. Have it your way. Aggravane, Kane, I'm going to need your help with this. Come with me. You two, stand guard. I'll be back in about an hour. Oh, and reason. If you are lying to me, you'll wish you were never born. At night, the Dominion hideout seems even more unassuming than in the daytime. From the outside, it looks like an operating industrial manufacturing facility. Smoke billows from a trio of smokestacks. Only a few security lights dot the complex. A half mile away, a red Ferrari pulls up behind a thicket of bushes. Mariah steps out. She slings a set of high-powered binoculars around her neck, adjusts her sword on her hip, and slinks toward the complex. The strength of her binoculars allows her to see several operatives patrolling in certain areas around the complex. They are dressed in dark bio suits, which are military issue, helping them to blend into the shadows. The helmets are fitted with night goggles. The uniforms are lightweight, yet can deflect a 9mm round on almost any part of the body. But is it strong enough to deflect Mariah's ancient sword? Whatever the case, this won't be easy. From her vantage point, Mariah can see red wisps of smoke signaling demonic activity. One building in particular draws her attention. Goosebumps rise from her skin and her heart sinks as if she is free-falling. Could this be where reason is being kept? There are guards at every entrance, but the top of the building seems uninhabited. Mariah lowers her binoculars from her eyes. After a long pause, she begins to pray. Lord... I know you have a purpose for us. You've given me this special link to reason for a reason. God, I can't do this without you. 
Help me to save him. I'm one person, and they are so many. But you've given me the skills to breach this fortress. Protect us, Lord. Amen. It's now or never. Herrick sits in the sacred chamber. Archaic carvings and designs seem haphazardly written on the walls, ceiling, and floor. In the center, a large pentagram is carved deep and inlaid with gold. Herrick begins to work himself up for a dangerous and daunting task. <sighs> Agravain, bring the medium here. Kane, bring me the other two warlocks. I may need more help than I initially thought. And don't let anyone disturb us. Within the torture chamber, Reason musters enough energy to raise his head to see how his mother's doing. Mom, I'm sorry. Shh. Baby, save your strength. You don't have to talk right now. No, Mom, I do. I have some things I want to say to you. I may not get another chance. Mom, I... I know, baby. I know. Me too. Mom, I'm sorry. Don't be sorry, honey. What do you have to be sorry for? I'm the one who should be sorry. I should have been there for you years ago when your sister died. I know it was hard on you. I just didn't know what to say. I didn't think you'd ever forgive me for not being there for you. I hope you're still not carrying that around with you. But you were there for me, Mom. You did a good job of providing for me. I'm sorry, because I wish I could have been a better son. We've drifted apart over the years. We rarely talk. I never made anything of myself. I just wish I could have done something to make you proud of me. I've really made a mess of my life, and now I've somehow made a mess of yours, too. Is that what you think? You think you made a mess of my life? You think I'm not proud of you? I'm very proud of you. I love you, Bartholomew. You're the best thing I've ever done in my life. And this whole thing, this isn't your fault. Reason? What was he talking about? What does he mean by the opposition? He's just a crazy psychopath, Mom. I really don't know what he's talking about. For some reason, he's had it out for me in the worst way. I know it's hard to believe, but this is a fitting end to a weird week. Wait. Wait. That guy in France. He said that there were more like me. He mentioned that there were six others like me. Mom, I think I know what he's talking about. You do? Yes. Recently, I've given my life to Christ. I'm a born-again Christian. This happened a little over a week ago, and it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. But ever since then, it seems like my life has been in danger. And just last night, I think I was able to sense one of the others that he was talking about. Someone who might be like me, a new, born-again Christian running for his life. I think that is what this psychopath is talking about.
two Dominion operatives stand at the entrance of one of the structures, the building that Mariah believes holds the captured reason. Several yards off to their left and slightly behind them, Mariah has made her way seemingly unnoticed as she listens to their conversation. All I'm saying is that it was an extreme move to get rid of Raven like that. What has it been? Five years that he's been the first? He's done everything Eric has asked just to get axed for one mistake? I don't think you understand our business. We can't even afford one mistake. And Raven should have been able to get the job done. Kane brought him in with no problem. Mariah slowly unsheathes Mercy Giver, her trusted sword, and after a moment's hesitation, advances toward the two. I still think it was too much. He could have just demoted him. Did you hear what happened to him? Maybe we shouldn't talk about this. Herrick has ears everywhere. Mariah's sword silences them both quickly. With strategic strokes, she was able to bring them both down. The protective biosuits gave little protection against the sharp stroke of her ancient blade. Mariah tries not to think about the two lives she just took, but it isn't easy. Until now, she's always used her weapon for self-defense. Fighting back her remorse, she focuses on her objective. Slipping through an unprotected window, Mariah lands cat-like on her feet. She feels the hairs on her neck stand straight and she pauses quickly, not making a sound. She slowly looks around the room. It is very dark, but she can make out strange artifacts littering the space. Wisps of red swirl around them. Mariah's heart beats so loud she almost thinks it will give her position away. Deep into the lion's den now, she knows there is no turning back. What's that smell? Lord, you're going to have to show me where to go from here. Mariah takes a few steps toward a dimly lit hallway. She pauses, cocks her head slightly, trying to hear what sounds like a low rumble. Feeling as if she is being watched, she slowly draws her sword. Her grip is tight, her breathing uneven. Even though she is against the wall, anyone can spot her if the lights were suddenly turned on. The entire room feels wrong, defiled. Mariah slowly looks up toward the ceiling. She can't make out anything, but her senses tell her that she isn't alone. The dank smell that permeates the room seems to follow her as she hurries toward the hallway. Deep within the darkness, nestled in the rafters, two red eyes snap open. Just then, Herrick snaps out of his meditative state. There is someone here. Mariah navigates through a maze of tunnels, making every effort to avoid surveillance cameras and wandering operatives. When she hears someone coming her way, she quickly hunches down in the alcove until he moves by. Mariah is surprised to see that the man is wearing a lab coat instead of a biosuit. She proceeds to move in the opposite direction that he was going. Passing a series of doors, Mariah notices that light is emanating from one of the rooms. There is a window on the door that has been crudely covered with construction paper to keep out wandering eyes, but the shoddy work left a sliver uncovered. Mariah peeks through the narrow opening. Her eyes widen as she looks at a mass of twisted snakes, much larger than any she has ever seen. They seem to be moving strangely upon something. Her restricted vision doesn't give her much detail. My God, what is this place? Hey, you. Behind her, a female operative in a helmetless biosuit begins to walk up on her. 
Mariah stands from her hunched position without turning around. The operative begins to draw her weapon. Mariah's eyes shift in a panic as she tries to find a way out of this without more blood on her hands. With one fluid motion, she twirls around and flings her sword as if it is an extension of her hand. It knocks the gun out of the operative's hand, slicing it as it passes. The female operative is caught off guard, surprised by the sudden attack. In that instance, Mariah rushes her, leaping in the air and kicking her on the chin, sending her back against the wall and crashing to the floor. Mariah snaps to a defensive pose, looking around to see if there are any other attackers. Without hesitating, she grabs her weapon and darts off. She begins to round the corner but catches herself when she notices two operatives guarding a door down the hallway. Goosebumps rise on her arm once again as her pulse rate races. That's it. That's got to be it. She looks around the hallway, then up at the ceiling. There is a large vent about eight feet directly above the heads of the guards. She follows where she thinks the vent leads with her eyes, then slinks off without being seen. One of the two guards stands impatiently. You got a smoke? What? Do you have a smoke? Irritated, the operative turns away, ignoring the request. Come on, man, I'm dying here. A few moments later, high above the heads of the operatives, the vent jiggles quietly. It seems that Mariah has found her way through the ducts and above the operatives. As she brings the vent inside with her, it scrapes the sides of the duct slightly, enough to get one of the operatives to look up. Mariah doesn't hesitate. She leaps down onto the operative that made her, landing heavy on his head, sending him to the floor hard with her knee on his neck. She hears a snap. The other operative looks at her in surprise, but he isn't fast enough to lift his weapon. Inside the torture chamber, Reason hears a scuffle coming from the other side of the door. After a little while, the sound stops. The door opens slowly. A blade peeks through, then the face of Mariah. Noticing that there isn't any hostiles in the room, Mariah rushes toward Reason. Reason? We have no time to talk. We've got to get out of here. Help my mother first. Mariah and Jacqueline help Reason down the corridor. Mariah is on high alert. This is too easy. There were people all over when I came in. Let's not try and walk out the front door. Agreed? The three are startled by the loudspeaker. Mariah looks up at the ceiling and realizes that there are cameras recessed in the wall. The ones she noticed are to deter insubordinate activity. These hidden cameras see whatever they don't. They've been had. Welcome to my humble home. I can only assume that you're one of the seven, one of the opposition. You know, it would have been much more polite if you would have come in the front door. Herrick stands in front of a bank of surveillance monitors. From here, he can see every inch of the complex, inside and out. Now I'm only going to ask you this once. Please place your weapons on the floor and back up against the wall, and you will not be harmed. If you resist, then I cannot be held responsible for what happens to you. Kane watches his own set of monitors with an oversized two-way radio in his hand. He lifts it to his mouth as a half-dozen heavily armed Dominion operatives dressed in biosuits run past one of the monitors. All operatives are wearing their bio-helmets now. They can hear every word piped through the secure feed and are trained to follow their orders to the letter. They're in the West Wing. 
I want you to block them off. We can corner them in the utility room. And one more thing. Don't underestimate them. That was Raven's mistake. If you make me look bad, I'll have your head on a plate. Mariah, Reason, and Jacqueline half run, half shuffle down the hallway. Mariah is smart enough to not have entered this complex without an exit strategy. But she underestimated the security of the facility and the coordination of the operatives. They know our exact location. We're going to have to make our way through the duct system. I know two ways out of this place, and that's our best option. Reason, can you make it? Before they take a step toward the ducks, bullet holes rip through the wall right next to Mariah. She is taken by surprise. Mariah knows that if they wanted to, she'd be dead. They had her dead to rights. Maybe they wanted them alive. At any rate, the corridor to the ducks is cut off. They've cornered off this exit. Reason, get out of there! Mariah tosses a small metallic rod to Reason. He musters all his strength, extends the titanium weapon, and makes his move. Mariah takes up the rear. Okay, have it your way. Attention all Dominion operatives. We have three intruders. You are instructed to kill them on sight. I repeat, shoot to kill. Reason uses his weapon to destroy two surveillance cameras on the ceiling. Mariah knows that operatives are just down the hallway. They'll be upon them in seconds if they don't move fast. This way, follow me quickly. Uh, come on, baby. Uh. Agravain. We're flushing them your way. You know what to do. Kane watches two of his monitors go to static after Reason takes them out. No matter, he knows exactly where they're headed. Kane leaves. He wants to watch this firsthand. They're right behind us. Come on, we're almost there. Reason feels like he is making good time. His legs find their way under him. His adrenaline pumps and his mind shifts to survival mode. Jacqueline is having a hard time keeping up, but she isn't far behind her son. Mariah watches from the back as the Dominion operatives close, unloading round after round, barely missing. It seems like the trio are one step ahead of them, but that won't last long. Reason can feel it. They're almost there. As he rounds what he believes is the last corner, his heart drops, and he feels like he is moving in slow motion. He almost falls to the ground at the sight of him. Aggravain stands with his sword drawn, blocking the exit. Agravain doesn't hesitate. He rushes Reason with his sword held high. Reason is caught off guard. His defenses are down. Without thinking, Jacqueline throws herself in harm's way to protect her son. Reason watches in horror as his mother takes the full force of Agravain's stroke. The blade cuts deep through her shoulder, and Agravain flings her to the wall like a rag doll. No! Unaware of all that is happening ahead, Mariah watches the operatives close. There is nowhere to hide. They raise their weapons. Mariah grabs hold of a metal door, one of several that they have passed on the race for their lives. She doesn't know if it is locked. This is a secure area. She turns the knob and pulls with all her might. It opens, just as they begin to fight. With metal between her and them, the bullets bounce harmlessly away. We don't have much time. Whatever you're going to do, do it now. Reason, full of rage, comes up strong with Gavagai and catches Agravain's sword arm. The sword falls to the ground as he yells in pain. With blinding speed, Reason smacks Agravain in the back of the head. Agravain rushes Reason, pressing him toward the wall. Reason runs up the wall, does a backflip, and lands behind Agravain. With two strong strokes, Reason strikes between Agravain's legs in the growing area, lifting him off the ground. 
Agravain doubles over as Reason strikes with the full force of his body, running Agravain's head into the wall, leaving a noticeable dent. Agravain crumples to the ground. We have to leave now! Mariah turns to see what has transpired. Before she can assess what happened, she grabs Jacqueline's bloody body and rushes off. Agravain begins to shake up the pain. He looks up at Reason towering over him with Gavagai held high. Say goodnight! Reason plunges the butt of his weapon into Agravain's face. All goes black. To Reason's surprise, Mariah doesn't take them through the exit door, but down a side hallway toward where she knew the warehouse is to be. The twisted channels of hallways and corridors are a maze to most, but Mariah always held a mental map of her location in reference to where she came in. Outside the exit doors, Kane waits along with eight armed operatives focused and aimed at the door. It seems as though they have waited there longer than they expected. Kane raises the two-way to his lips. Agravain! Agravain! Where are they? You, open that door! If anyone sees them, shoot to kill! Mariah pulls herself out of the window she originally came in. In the warehouses, there are no surveillance cameras. These buildings are much too large to monitor. Kane had bet on Agravain, and this time, he lost. Reason holds Jacqueline's broken and bloody body behind a thicket outside of the complex. She is still breathing, but shadowly, and she is losing blood fast. He knows that she'll be dead in a matter of minutes. Still, he puts pressure on the wound that seems too big for his hand. He looks around to make sure they haven't been followed. It doesn't look like they have. Come on, hurry. We have no time to waste. They're probably doing a perimeter check as we speak. Kane stands above the body of Agravain with his two-way to his mouth. He is noticeably shaken at the sight of Agravain, whose head is smashed. Kane knows that Reason killed their only champion. His blood grows even colder when he sees Herrick making his way toward him down the hallway. Did you find him? What do you mean, no? Where are they? Before you answer that, think carefully about what you say. Who's gonna pay for this one? Come on, Mom, stay with me. Just look at me. Mom, look at my eyes. Don't die on me. Don't you die on me, you hear me? Can't you drive this thing any faster? Herrick kneels next to Agravain's broken body. With four other warlocks now at his side, they begin a low chant. Dread Lord of Darkness, breathe life into this body. Dread Lord of Darkness, breathe life into this body. Right before his very eyes, Cain watches the skull fragments mend themselves. Agravain's body shakes and his eyes flutter. The four warlocks gasp and fall to the ground. Their skulls crack open, but not from the fall. Kane realizes in horror that these four warlocks gave their lives so that Agravain could live once again. Four for one, a hefty price, but one that Herrick was willing to pay. The hospital seems colder than usual. For the past 20 minutes, Reason recounts the events of the last two days. 
His hand shakes as he puts it up to his mouth. His emotional pain far outweighs his physical pain. He doesn't even notice his rapid recovery. Bones once stressed or fractured are only bruised and swollen. His face, once bloody and puffy from the brutal experience, is now much improved. With thoughts of his mother in the ER, he shifts his focus to the woman who lay in front of him, recovering from a gunshot wound. The past events are almost too much for his mind to accept. Almost. How are you feeling? Believe me, I feel better than you look. You don't know how happy I am to see that you're doing well. I thought they'd killed you. It'll take more than a bullet to take out this West Virginia girl. Susan looks up at Mariah. Thanks for bringing him back safely. Yeah, I never did get a chance to thank you, Mariah. I'm glad I was able to help. I know it's a bad time for everyone, but I think we have a lot to talk about, and I think we better talk about it soon. But I can say that the reason I was able to find you is a strange one. It was as if I was linked to your pain, or maybe even your extreme emotions. It's hard to explain. But it was as if I could feel your pain. And when that happened, I could even see you and where you were. It's not hard for me to believe. I think I felt the same thing with a man in France. He was in pain as well. I think he got stabbed in the arm by a very large man. I think things are beginning to make sense. You said Herrick mentioned that there were seven of us, right? Well, what if we are all linked to one another, but in a very unique way? You could feel this other guy's pain, but I couldn't. Maybe each of us is linked exclusively to one another, forming a chain of sorts. Does that make any sense? If what you're saying is right, then there really is something big happening here. And what about that Agravain guy? You said that there was some big guy after you, and when I saw the man in France, there was someone attacking him too. Maybe all seven of us have someone assigned to kill us. No, that's too crazy. No, it's not. Go on. Well, I was just thinking that this evil empire that is after us is trying to kill us for a reason. Herrick seems to be afraid of us getting in the way of something he has planned. Maybe there is something bigger than all of us about to happen. Maybe even something of biblical proportions. Well, at least we know what to pray for. If there is anything to any of this, we had better be on our knees and... A light knock on the door interrupts them. A middle-aged doctor walks into the room. Excuse me, are you Bartholomew being? Yes. I'll keep an eye on the door. I'm afraid I have some bad news. It's about your mother. Sir, we did everything we could, but I'm sorry, she just couldn't pull through. Your mother died about 15 minutes ago. I'm sorry. Mariah looks down the hallway, making sure there isn't any danger. Her eyes cloud with tears as she hears the diagnosis. She is almost too afraid to turn around and see reason devastated by the news. Her eyes close in emotional pain, causing tears to stream down her cheeks. When she opens her eyes, her face begins to furrow with a mix of sorrow and anger.